Geek Shock. Geek Shock. On your tree removal, because I I, I want to get rid of these palm trees in my backyard. Right. I don't blame you. Little rat's nests. Well, they're pigeon nests right now, so I'm going to stop giving them places to roost at night. I know a really good pigeon killer, but he's a psycho. Mm. <laughs> he does it for fun? No, he's a professional. <laughs> we wrote several stories about him for the paper, and now he's like an open carry gun nut with his own... He's got a paintball range that's where you where you where he's trying to create a new sport that's full contact paintball where you punch and do paintball and the paintballs are <laughs> and the paintballs aren't regular paintballs they're like ballistic paintballs that the military uses that really do oh jeez there's yeah. so much to unpack here yeah yeah <laughs> i remember andy not. looking up like pigeon removal services and finding out that like one of the more popular ones they they trap them live and then they use them as uh feed for falconers like people that have birds of prey and they basically just uh you know they open the cage and let the birds try to fly off and then they set their eagles or their falcons you know their predator birds after the the pigeons to you know now i went up to see my that's that's pretty bizarre and awful i went up to visit my (laughs) step-grandmother she had a uh groundhog woodchuck uh trap that wasn't working i actually watched the wood the, the woodchuck walk into the thing take the bait sit sit in the cage and just enjoy the thing and walk off so i called up my brother and he told me how to reset the trap and make it actually work better it did like the, it caught him that night my brother told me he knew it's a guy i'm from that area and because what, what did they do with the groundhog and i'm like i don't know so i checked and they apparently they took it eight miles away and dropped it off in the woods because oh, oh. i knew a guy up there that would just take the whole cage and walk into the ocean with it. It's like, oh, God. Yuck. That, that's not, that's <laughs> like enjoying the squeals of the dying, drowning woodchuck. That's <laughs> a horrific story. Why are you telling us this? <laughs> I mean, we got Andy, tell, uh, he's been in the East too long. He's given us varmint stories. <laughs> <laughs> and like the rural East. Yeah. 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 Pretty yeah. rural, yeah. Rural Connecticut. I, I, found, out, I found out that bear that went out of our yard is actually lives in the neighborhood. He's, he's seen all the time. Just the first time we saw it in our yard. <laughs> oh, you know about the bear? There was a bear in my front yard a couple weeks ago. Oh my god, dude! I remember those pictures. Oh, he lives three doors down. Yeah, he's he, yeah. He's, he's actually pretty cool. You know. He, well, soon <laughs> enough, he's going to be so rural he'll like the band three doors down. Yeah. Uh, it's 2,000 feet away. There's like a patch of woods, and apparently that's where he lives. Do you play the banjo? (laughs) (laughs) My God, I'm from the East, technically, at least my first 13 years, but I'm from the city. And, you know, Jersey is basically like a half city. Mm. You keep going, you go, you go, and you're still in the damn city. They call it the Garden State, but it's a lie. You actually live in the woods. Yeah, my, my father started the family are Swamp Yankees. He was the first one to go to college. So Swamp Yankees. Thank you. That's the word. That's the thing I was looking yeah. for. Although, you know, the bear thing is still something. I, I On Long Island, I lived across the street from a forest, literally. My street was the, the borderline. We never had bears or wolves. Because <laughs> you're on shit. Long Island. There's a body of water that keeps them from coming across. What? Bears can swim. Not across Long about? Island Sound. Well, they can swim across the East River. They can come in from Yonkers. 
Yonkers. <laughs> no bears How many Yonkers? bears are there in Yonkers? So. We just had to worry about raccoons. Yeah, we got those in the backyard, too. I found the footprints. Welcome, yeah. folks, to Geek Shock number 598. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Jack Dandy. Dr. Vlarg. And we're here to talk Week and Geek. I, I, you know what? At, for the first time, I was, like, waiting for the Maple Leaf mat. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Uh, normally, I just you know, right, railroad over it. Forget you know he's what, here. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Why are you upset at Matt? Because TC does not draw cards from the deck of many things. <laughs> TC convinces other fools to draw from the deck of many things. Oh, I knew that was coming. I was waiting for that. He played that character very chaotically, and I'm very happy about how it turned out. And don't worry, when we play again, and we will, we'll work it out. Uh, so the Geek Shock Book Club is reading Sweet Tooth, the graphic novel by Jeff Lemire. That's the comic that was turned into a show on Netflix. Discussions will open up on the 8th. Still a little time before discussions open, but again, as with all book club books, Join us when you have finished. Even if it's months down the line, you take all the time you want or need. Uh, and that being said, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? Oh, oh you know what? One more thing. Yeah, this is a new day. Uh, this, this is getting released on Friday. We don't usually do this. Uh, so those who <laughs> missed it last week, there were some changes in some schedules for some of us. So we had to change what days we record the show. So we recorded on Thursdays, released on Fridays. We all have work schedules to deal with. This could fluctuate. So uh, so don't get too comfortable here. Who knows what will happen? But for now, that's the schedule. That you're and if you're unhappy with it, you can get your refund on your free entertainment from Jeff. Yes. I probably owe some fools something <laughs> at some point down the line. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week? Uh, you know, Jeff, it's been a while since we heard from you. Let's do you. Alrighty. Uh, so I actually did a couple of things this last week since I wasn't there with you guys last week when just Michael was in town. That was kind of uh, disappointing, but you know, life. First thing I did is I actually went and saw Jungle Cruise in the theaters. Jungle Cruise. D yeah. Disney's cashing in on another of their rides and making it entertaining somehow. I, wa yes. I watched it as well. As did uh, I. You know what? I liked it. I, I, I found it enjoyable. I mean, certainly it's not without its faults. And to an extent, it's kind of Disney formulaic in a, in a, in a few areas. Two movies stapled together, and it works out fine. But I like the two yeah. movies they stapled together. But what are the two the, movies they stapled? Plot-wise, it's very much like, uh, like the first Pirates of the Caribbean as far as the storyline and some of the key elements of the story. But I, I hesitate to say too much more because I don't want to give away if anybody plans on seeing it. I thought the chemistry between uh, the three leads was fantastic. Emily Blunt, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and the other guy's name who escapes me right now. I forgot to put him in my notes. I apologize. Paul Giamatti? No, well, G Giamatti's in there, but he's more of like a, like a cameo player. He's in there a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. But, oh, the guy who plays uh, Emily Blunt's, Blunt's brother. Yes. Not it's going to bug me, but at any rate... I found it quite entertaining. Um, it was fun. It didn't, to me, feel like it dragged on too long, although maybe 10 minutes longer than it needed to be. Um, I, I found it uh, fun and not too heavy 
which you kind of get into some of these days uh, with movies, especially over the last year. You don't want a movie that just drags you down and is just like uber depressing. Uh, Jack Whitehall, that's the guy's name. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the character Lily that Emily Blunt plays, that's her brother. But uh, no, I, I thought it was fun. Uh, it's certainly not a, a heavy thinking movie. So you can go kind of, you don't necessarily even have to switch your brain off. You just have to just go in there and have a good time and enjoy it. You so, didn't mention the best part. The best that? part of the movie. They're doing the Jungle Cruise jokes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that th- th- there was a little bit of ham-fisted towards the beginning of the film. Jungle Cruise skipper jokes. Fortunately, it didn't last throughout the whole movie to the extent it was at the very beginning. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the only reason to go on that stupid ride. And it's half the reason you go to the Jungle Navigation Company to eat in, when you're in uh, uh, Disney it's World. Disney World, yeah. Yeah, because the waiters do the jokes. They don't always right. do all of them, though. you got to get a good waiter. Well, they, they, they knew people would be expecting that, and so they made it a stupid thing. They made people make fun of it, and it's, oh. it is funny. That's exactly and what they'll be expecting us to do. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was one thing. Uh, the other thing I did was watch the the final chapter of the trilogy, the Star, Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy on uh, Netflix. Kingdom is, Kingdom is the last chapter that was just on. Interestingly enough, I think this final chapter really tied in some of the the vagueness of the first two chapters that I've mentioned on the show before, where it's like you couldn't quite figure out where this was going and why it seems so different from a lot of the, the Gen 1 and uh, Transformers, the movie storylines that they would reference, but it seemed like the show was not quite going in that direction. But they kind of explained that in, the, uh, in this final chapter of the trilogy. So if you're a Transformers fan, it's definitely worth watching. And the last thing was also on Netflix, the movies that made us. They had four more movies that they dropped in there that you can uh, that they do the behind the scenes stuff on. That I didn't watch all of them yet, but I did watch both the Back to the Future segment as well as the Jurassic Park segment. And gotta say, um, I feel like I can't get enough behind the scenes stuff about both of those movies, Jurassic Park. They seem like every time you see a, a newer back to, uh, behind the scenes documentary style thing on that particular movie, how it was made, etc., they rehash a lot of the same old stories. But every now and then you get a new nugget or two of information, which you definitely do in this one. And then the same thing with the Back to the Future episode. So definitely check it out. Uh, I can't wait to watch the Forrest Gump one as well as the um, the Dirty Dancing one. Dirty Dancing yeah. was the first. Uh, uh, yeah, film. but I I never watched it. Oh. I didn't I didn't get around to it, uh, and I just didn't really have any interest in watching the Pretty Woman one. But, and I know I'm missing one in there somewhere. But there's I want to watch the rest of them just kind of because I love that behind the scenes kind of stuff. So yeah, that's what I did this this last week and a half. All right, Andy, what'd you do? We haven't heard from you in a while either. Uh, well, I saw Jungle Cruise. Uh, the other half of the the uh, equation is the Brendan Fraser mummy. It's, it borrows heavily from. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Again, I like both those movies. They 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 piece them together nicely, and I I had a real fun time watching it. So I was happy with that. Yeah, and I would say that's one that's probably worth seeing on the big screen. I mean, it's it's definitely very flashy, and then the humor works really well. 
Yeah, it, it is good on the big screen. That's how I ended up seeing it because I had my birthday movie ticket that was set to expire the next day. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go watch it. <laughs> so I did a, uh, uh, I got a commission from uh, uh, Las Vegas Museum for a, uh, oh, how do I describe this up blowing it? Uh, I did a, it was a conceptual art for a piece of art I'm not going to build. They could, they, the actual artist is going to do it. They couldn't get him to work quickly enough to get him conceptual art for a meeting. So I did the conceptual art. So I got money. And I took Good. that money out. I bought an Xbox 360. <laughs> so I've been play. I played. Uh, I played through the uh, Call of Duty Black Ops uh, story, which is really short. It's really a <laughs> quick little thing. Uh, I think I played maybe a couple of the uh, chapters of it before, but yeah, at the end I was like, oh, well, I haven't played this before. So that was fun. I don't have all the zombies yet. I got to figure out why I don't have all the zombies. Uh, I only have like the one in the theater and the uh, the one in the Pentagon. You mean so maybe like I have... zombie maps? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I'm just curious something. why you would buy a 360 in in 2021, Andy? Because I know because I know the games and it was a cheaper system. Being that it's not really supported anymore, you can't really get on Xbox Live much with it anymore. And when there's yeah. problems, they don't do anything I, I, I like putting a disc in the, the game box and playing the game that's on the disc it's fun you can still do that like with the xbox one sure Most but of those it would are... a lot more money i didn't i didn't do two commissions or three commissions I did one... <laughs> <laughs> also there's a uh, lot of games for, in andy's defense there's a lot of games that are available for the 360 that are just bangers yeah. and i still have my 360 somewhere in a box um, I don't want to get rid of it because there's still a lot of games that are really good for that system. You can still get on that live. There's still stuff for it. So sure. if it's new to him, it's new. Yeah, it's getting more and more difficult to get online with it, though. The thing about the uh, the zombies, Andy, is uh, a lot of those maps are download content. I spent money to get those maps and download right. them. So well, with it, not- I'll do that. Well, you know, like to Jeff's point of it not being supported, I don't know to what extent you'll be able to get those. They might be there for you, but yeah, at least now, my 360 is still working. So if we still uh, if we were if I were to get my my Xbox Live account running again, could we play zombies from here and there? You, you, need you, the had, maps. The, you had the if you had the maps and I didn't. No, no. Yeah. Problematic. You need the maps. That was one of the reasons why I got like all the maps was so we could land with uh, Scully. Good to know. So. Uh, and the other thing I did, uh, I, mean, I did a bunch of things that Jeff was saying. I did that. I saw those too. But um, I went to uh, Six Flags over to England for a couple hours today. Oh, I fun! Bought, I, I bought a, a season's pass about two months ago because I looked it up and I'm like, I wonder how much it costs to go there. It's, just right up, it's literally like a mile, mile and a half away, and uh, it was like. They're having a sale. It's like 50 bucks for a season pass. I'm like, that's fine. I can do that. So I popped on the money, but then situations changed, and it was difficult to get away to do that. Uh, but I managed to slip away for three hours today, and I walked about half the park. It's gotten pretty huge. Uh, I was disappointed. I got to the uh, D.C. section. Uh, I was rubbing Steve's nose when he took the picture of the uh, the Hall of Justice. Like, we got one of those. Like, no, no, we don't anymore. That's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, th- I think they built a couple roller coasters in its place, so it's it's, mm, it's great if you yeah. want to go on big they scary would. roller coasters. And I did go on uh, I did go on uh, uh, roller coaster scary for its own reason. I went on the Thunderbolt, 
the one that was built in 1941. So rode an 80-year-old roller coaster. Oh, that's great. Was yeah. it, did it shake the hell out of you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I've been <laughs> on it many times. I used to operate that one. I used to run that one. So I, I know. Really? Wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, wait. Back up. Andy, you were in charge of people on a roller coaster? I, oh, I was I was like a more employee of the week one time doing that job. I was uh, I mean, it was a week. Up. It was a week they were closed. But I was a ride operator the summer after college. And uh, yeah, they, they rotate on the rides. And, and once you got good, they they'd move you to the roller coasters. That was like the jock job. You know, the, they'd put you in roller coasters if you were top of the line. So I got to go the first roller coaster I really rode on. We had a cyclone, which is this, which is the model of the cyclone at Coney Island, a big, huge wooden bone shaker roller coaster. And I really hadn't uh, ridden many roller coasters at that point. In New England in the winter, in the winter, New England in the summer, it's still pretty cold in the morning, so they have to run the coasters a few times before the people arrive. And those things are engineered so they don't really work unless you have some weight in it. So you can either lift heavy sandbags into the roller coaster. And run it through a few times, or you could put minimum wage uh, teenage kids on it. So <laughs> the first time I really rode the cyclone, I rode it seven or eight times in a row. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I like me some roller coasters now, but it was uh, yeah. exciting. Oh, that's great! I'm glad you got to go. So you, you're going to go back then because you got the yeah, pass. pass. And I can just—I mean, literally, it's—it's it's practically walking distance, and uh, uh, my pass includes free parking, so I can just pop up for an hour or two. It's That's weird great. walking around the old park from, you know, I was there 35 years ago. You can still occasionally see little, you know, bits where the bones are still there. And there's like one or two rides, like the Thunderbolt's still there. You know that stupid thing they have with the uh, the, the gasoline-powered cars with a track oh, in the yes. middle? Bounces up. That ride is still there. So you can, looking at those two things, you can sort of piece together where all the other stuff was. It's like I looked, I'm like, oh, that's where... That's where the bumper cars used to be, and the monorail station was on the roof, which I remember being up there operating the monorail and looking down at my brother, who turned 16 that summer and got a job, and the weird rules of the park, you can't work in the same department as a sibling, so he okay. ended up being groundskeeper, so he's down there sweeping up, you know, vomit and stuff down below me. I'm, I'm looking down at him lordly from the uh, monorail platform as he sweeps up crap, and he glares at me. Yeah, well, you're the one spilling things. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you were just giving him training towards becoming a zookeeper. Exactly. He actually does have to do a lot of weird cleaning up shit. I used to, uh, people talk, you know, I talk about when I'm character, like you're drawing 12 or 14 hours a day. I'm like, I'm not digging ditches. And I finally said that too many times in front of my brother. I said, you know, a lot of my job involves digging ditches, don't you? I'm like, oh, shit. Sorry. All right. <laughs> And speaking of those weird antique car rides, is Autopia still at Disneyland? It was last time I was there. Yeah, um, I saw a video of it recently. So That is the biggest waste of space in that park. Thank Isn't it, you. though? Thank you. Every time I go, I, I tell Deb the same thing. And there's another one that's in, in the Florida park as well. And it's just as slow and just as stupid. Yeah. Hey, that, that ride is for kids like my kids when they were there last time young kids really love the idea of being able to drive the car and that actually has they have some control over it 
So that's why it's still there. I get the idea behind it. And I'm not necessarily saying they need to get rid of it. They just need to actually disnify the damn thing. Ah. Because it's no different than any other of the the on-the-rail car rides you find at any of the uh, older amusement parks like Kings Island or the varying Six Flags around. They're, They're all the same idea. At least they could put some animatronics along the way to look at. You know, yeah, Six and- Flags actually had uh, the one I saw at Six Flags. They actually had smaller cars. It used to be old, timey looking Model T kind of things. At the Six Flags, uh, it is now uh, smaller cars, and uh, I think they were Jeeps or something. So they were reskinned. What control do people have on that ride? All you can do is go slow and stop. And no, no, you can move uh, the a- thing just a little bit to the left and right. Yeah, that's the, that's the control. It's a little bit to the left and right. It makes you feel like you're actually driving. If you're a well, kid, not you. For for not a lot for of a, a very little kid. For a lot of adults, it's it's a nostalgia thing because that is one of the rides. I don't think it was opening day and date, but I think it came like a year after Disneyland opened. That that it is super I'm, old. I'm sure. I'm sure John Bean Hastings is screaming at the uh, yeah at the at the podcasting device he's listening to right now, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, I I, I want to say it opened like in '56 or something, and I mean, granted the cars are have been upgraded over time, but the track is still essentially the same. The area it's in is essentially the same, but it's also one of those uh, rides they call like a ride a crowd control ride because if pe- if there's any people in line for that, it's keeping the lines lower on some of the other Tomorrowland lines. It's a lost so. leader, great. Yeah. So right. I, I think that's the main reason it, it they keep it. And also, it's ridiculously cheap to maintain compared to a lot of the other rides at Disneyland. Yeah, there's not at, much to break there. At least have some Disney character statues to drive by, for God's sake. Well, I mean, it's the the track itself has remained unchanged since, since that's it fine. opened. That's fine. I'm not saying the track. Just put a cave around it or something. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I agree with you. But I think a lot of people get all uppity when it comes to... The quote-unquote classic rides, and anytime somebody wants to upgrade it, it's like, no, upgrade it. Yeah, yeah, they got uh, they got up they got uppity when they put in uh, Jack Sparrow in Pirates, and it's fine. But Jack Sparrow's great in Pirates, whatever. Todd, you're the asshole that wants to take the ninja out of it's a small world. There's a ninja in Small World. Wait, who cares? Because it's Small World. (laughs) It's garbage. Well, it's a ninja. Worse than Autopia. It's Small World. It's a ninja. Of course, you can't see it. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah I, I i agree Todd, because it <laughs> they they've upgraded so many of the other rides they've upgraded alice they've upgraded um winnie the pooh i mean they've they've done Tower improvements to a lot yeah they've done a, improvements to a lot of the classic rides so why they, they don't do that with autopia i don't they know they can't do it with autopia the only way to improve autopia would be to scrap it and redo it with a new racing ride but it'd be something exciting and the point of that ride like todd said is it's a loss leader it's it's a it's a it's a ride to stall you from going on other things if you have like a 5 year old who just wants to race great okay which is how i ended up on it last time my kids were my kids waited for like an hour to go on that ride cuz that was a ride they wanted to go on I'm like all right Here's here's the idea. Take all the statues and dioramas from the storybook canals and put it around the racetrack, and that way you've at least cleared up some space somewhere for something good. There you go. Now I think 
I think Andy and I have stumbled upon upon the answer, guys. Barry, next time you write Autopia, just imagine there are ninjas all over the place. <laughs> you just can't violent. see them. Yeah. The next the next time he says, like yeah. the first time was the last time. <laughs> I've still never been on it. I mean, I every time I walk past it at Disneyland, I'm like, I just don't see the appeal. Right now, sitting on your couch, you are going as fast as you go on Utopia. <laughs> and He's not half wrong. <laughs> and there are ninjas all over that room. There's ninjas right behind Jeff right now. He just can't yeah. see. Huh. All right, Barry, what you do? Well, therein lies uh, a thing I have to announce. Uh, oh, okay. You know, I, I can't ever come to the show and say, what'd you do this week? Oh, nothing. Because that's not yeah. my life. No, that's Matt's uh, life. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, totally Matt's life. <laughs> well, and let's, let's, let's give Matt a chance to retaliate. <sighs> okay, great. Um, <laughs> I he's have got, been he's got too nothing. busy to do, to do geek stuff. I've been way too busy. I've been putting things, all my geek stuff, I've been putting all my geek stuff in boxes. Oh, no, now, you're going to get rid of it? No. Well, actually, some of it, yes. Some of it I'm probably going to give to Mr. Andrew Taylor because he's got a 360 now, and I got a bunch of Call of Duty games for the 360 I was just going to get rid of. But you know what? I'm thinking Andy can have them. Yeah, um, you said duty. Duty. Uh, why am I putting my stuff in boxes? Because Daddy's moving back to Vegas. What? That's right. I'm uh, oh. moving back to Las Vegas, and so is Wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. No. This, this calls for this calls for a geek shock. <laughs> Boy, doesn't it? I'm well, surprised you're going to edit the show all wrong. No, you can say that again. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not breaking out the fireball, Kirsten. Yeah, well, I'm surprised I'm not breaking out the fireball to deal with this. Start drinking. Uh, That's right. Just Nine years in Houston and Texas in general is just quite enough. Thank you very much. Just uh, when I thought it was out, they pull me back in. That's yeah. right. This is where that's he, what he, she said. he leans up to you next to you, Todd, and goes, I'm your worst nightmare. You, that's true, though. That's very true. You love it. You love the idea that I'm coming back. You know I, you know you do. I um, love that I'm there's someone else I can play Euro board games with, so I'll <laughs> give you that. Well, I know. I'll give Deb that. You're just there. <laughs> Maybe he'll finally <laughs> drag you out to the new Pinball Hall of Fame, Todd. You get well, wait. You know what? Yeah, let's let's Hold do on. that. You haven't been there yet. No, I haven't been there yet. Why hasn't anyone told me this? What is wrong with your life? <laughs> How long do you have? Oh. Yeah, let me get you an essay. Make me so angry. <sighs> That's all right. I'll I'll remedy that. Um, well, I'm gonna be back there as soon as this house sells. Uh, I figure in September or so. So you have until then to improve the show. Then I can degrade it. <laughs> yeah, it will even itself out in the long run, I guess. <laughs> okay, Barry. So, how long do I have to enjoy my life? Um, I think you have until mid-September, honestly, because closing takes eh, two, three weeks or so. Uh, the house will sell right away because the housing market's fucking crazy right now. So, I'm thinking mid-September, maybe end of September. However, you will have Deb before you have me. And I oh. know that's more exciting because of the turnout for DebCon versus the turnout for VlargCon. Ain't Screw that the all truth. of you, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed that you're surprised by that, Barry. 
So the law of conservation of geeks here. We got we got Paul leaving, you coming back, and then and in both cases they both send the wives first. Okay, I see how it works. Like canaries down the mine shaft. Yeah. So aside from packing to annoy me, is there anything else that you had time to do this week? No. Packing's a whole full time job. Let's well, let's see. What did I do that was geeky this week? Uh yeah, I, yeah, we saw Jungle Cruise, but we mentioned that before, so no, not really. Okay. Packing to annoy me is my culture club cover crap band. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I like that. That's actually no, a very I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's really hard for geeks to do, and that's part with their stuff. I'm, I'm packing all this stuff. I'm looking at everything I have, I'm, and with everything that comes across my hands, I think, can I live without this? And a lot of the stuff I have, I've already pared down and curated so I only ha- and I don't have a bunch of Star Wars knickknacks and bullshit. I have expensive stuff. I have the like the lightsabers. I have like the the video game, not like like bric-a-brac. So it's hard for me to pare down my stuff. But I have managed to pare down a lot of stuff. In fact, Andy's going to be the beneficiary of that because I'm going to give him some Xbox 360 games. See, it all works out. One happy family. Happy. Texting my address happy. now. Shiny, happy. <laughs> Shiny, happy people. Uh, let's see this week. Well, I, I do want to bring up that we are still doing the HSX League. That's the Hollywood Stock Exchange League. We have the Geek Shock group together, so you can join us in playing that game. If you're into games that have to do with Hollywood box office numbers and in a stock market style, I realize that's a very niche market. It is It is free, and if you're into stock exchange games, it's really kind of fun. But I will say it's also helped me on two things. One, get ready for this show, because when I go and check the stocks, because I follow a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy and horror stocks on that. And then if I see something really tank or something really go up, I'm like, oh, some big news got released. Uh, But there's been a it's harder than it used to be. The Hollywood Stock Exchange used to be kind of easy in a way because you'd be like, well, the, the stock is at like 10, which you're expecting the, like, let's say there's a horror movie. It's released at $10 a share. That means they're expecting it to do at least 10 million. Well, if it does over 10 million, that's it's like it does 14 million. Then you've made $4 for every share that you bought. That makes it very, very uh, easy to say, well, it's going to at least hit this amount. What's made it harder is streaming services. Because if any of these movies get picked up by a streaming service, Apple, uh, Netflix, Disney, or or just goes exclusive to one of those, the whole stock tanks immediately because it's only based on box office numbers. So the difficulty level of the Hollywood Stock Exchange has gone through the roof with that information. Because now when you're buying a stock, it's two things. It's like, is it going to make the money at this level? And two... Is it going to survive all the way to being released in the theaters, or is it going to be bought out by Netflix at the last moment? It's it's a whole new way of thinking about how Hollywood works, because that's how Hollywood's working right now. I can't believe you're still playing that. I really can't. I played that like 10 years ago, and I thought it would be defunct by now. I am shocked to see this. It's been going for over 20 years. Holy crap. Yes. That does make it sound a little more exciting, that, that edition. Uh, but not uh, the sighting is watching paint dry. It sounds like the most <laughs> goddamn thing niche. to do. Andy, you're an niche. artist. It's your job to watch paint dry. Yeah. And I Ooh. I love stock exchange board games, so I automatically go to this. But yet uh, I don't do the stock market because 
it's no game. money. Yeah, you hey, have to have money that- in gambling. <laughs> Is that why you're not playing Minecraft right now? Because we don't actually have an economy in this iteration? <laughs> no, it's there's a lot more to that. Frankly, I'm doing a lot of painting. Uh, I finished off one commission. I've taken up two now that I've got going concurrently. Uh, one is uh, I've picked up from uh, Darren. He's one of Jeff's friends, the one that worked at Star Trek, The Experience. Course, and Jeff's famous bartender. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Uh, so he hired me to not do your average miniatures. Uh, he bought one of those Master Series model kits for the Millennium Falcon. And it comes with little miniature Star Wars characters to put in the cockpit. But they are the smallest miniatures I've ever dealt with. They are true, true miniatures. They are less than an inch. I'd say they're about a half an inch tall. Do you have like a, like a big uh, magnifying glass set up? With yes. light in it and everything. I Yo, that's what I gotta get. Because I can't I uh I have to take out my contacts and be able to stare at the tiny little thing. Save I don't, your I, eyes, people. Save your yeah. eyes. Maybe maybe buy that in Vegas. What? Maybe buy that in Vegas instead of buying it in Yeah, no, Houston. I got enough shit to buy. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna leave the painting miniatures to Todd. I ah. admit when I suck at uh, a skill and I suck at painting minis. But also this week, I lo- I watched another lost 80s movie, science fiction Uh-oh. movie that I'd never seen before. So it's another one scratched off the list, one that everybody's been wanting me to watch, and that's Cherry 2000. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. The plot. Cherry 2000, absolutely forgotten 80s movie. I can't really call it a gem. I don't even know if I can call it a good movie, but it's oh. entertaining and it's interesting. And a friend of ours is in it. Yes, uh, Cameron Milsner. She worked with us at Star Trek The Experience, but she's been in quite a few movies. She's She was in Midnight Run. She was in Casino. Uh, she was in, I think, Legally Blonde 2, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> really? Or is it, no, it was Miss Congeniality 2 is what she was Mid- in. Midnight Run, the John Ashton movie? The Midnight Run. Okay. Movie was made in 1985, didn't get released until 1988. Uh, when it was fine, they, because they didn't know what to do with it, because it is a post-apocalyptic, romantic, somewhat comedy western. That's really the genres it covers. Uh, the basic story, uh, a guy uh, loses his sex robot and was really actually in love with it and saves his personality on a disc and has to go out to the wasteland to find, because they don't make this model anymore, uh, another chassis uh, to put the personality into chassis, and that's what I said. <laughs> and <laughs> Jump, really. put the personality into, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to call it from now on. <laughs> hey, can I put some personality into you? Yeah. So he hires a hunter to go out in the wasteland with them to find a replacement body. And the interesting thing about this movie is that it was all filmed in Nevada for the most part. 75% of it filmed in Nevada. And dispelled a mystery I've kind of had since I was little. Uh, When I was uh, first came to Las Vegas, we're talking 1984, uh, we went to the Hoover Dam. I was fascinated by these gigantic tunnels off to the side of it. Uh, Basically, the spillway overflow area, uh, something we don't need anymore at the Hoover Dam, by the way. Uh, But there are these massive, massive tunnels. And 
I, I'm talking there, what, about 40, 50 feet tall? Mm-hmm. At uh, least. Yeah, just massive. And they kind of freaked me out when I was little because I didn't know where those tunnels led. It looked like they went into the center of the earth. And that's kind of where my imagination took it. It was like, if you go into those tunnels, you'll get swallowed up into who knows where and never be seen again. Uh, they filmed part of this movie in those tunnels. In fact, an incredible uh, stunt scene. And now I know where those tunnels go and, and where it leads. And it, it's not so scary after all. Uh, so, but still. You clearly have not taken the dam tour. I, I took the tour down into the dam, yeah, back in the day. But they yeah. never took us to those tunnels. They took me to those tunnels. Not me. Yeah, not those, me. Are the, those are the diversion tunnels. That's the tunnels they built on the side to run the water while they put the dam in front of it. So that wouldn't, and then they could block them off fairly easily. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. The, the main one that they probably filmed in, they, they kept and reinforced, is the Oversville one. Okay. Yeah, and it's creepy as hell. But uh, saw this movie, uh, I don't know if I could necessarily recommend it. It's definitely a piece of its time, and it has some really interesting sci-fi little pieces of decoration and but it doesn't go so far that it's like it changes into a whole new sci-fi world it's like we've decorated the old goldfield hotel uh with some sci-fi elements Mm. so it's it's weird in that aspect like like they had one space invaders machine that they put in the background of two different scenes and so you, when you recognize things like that, you know what you're dealing with in a film. Well, yeah, so apparently I mean, it's on Amazon Prime and Voodoo. So, uh, well, actually, Voodoo costs money, but I bet Amazon Prime it's free. Yes, and the movie was made for $10 million and made a total of $14,000 in the theater. Ow! Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, because which, when's that, when did you say that was? It was 87. It's like the drive-ins are starting to dry up. Oh, yeah. Because that's very uh, much a drive-in movie. Really, they only released it overseas, and nobody saw it overseas, and they just went direct to video for the states. My yeah. first experience with that film was I was a very young kid. We were, went, went to see like some regular, normal movies, and then I remember seeing not a trailer, but just a just a just a screen, just an image before the trailers. Cherry two thousand coming soon. That's all I remember about this film. Like, oh, it must be good. It's here in the movies, but it was like it wasn't even a trailer. It was just a just a just like an image. And so for years, I was like, well, what, well, what is? Where do I see this film? It's a sci-fi film. I'm interested in this, and I could never find it until I was, you know, very much older. And I was like, oh wow, I remember that. And I knew Cameron at that point, so I was like, okay, I'll watch this. <laughs> oh, did I regret it? And she has a significant part in this movie. Yes, she does. Now, yeah. well, you, you also neglected to mention Todd, a very young Melanie Griffith, a very yes. young Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a bunch of other actors that you'll recognize in there, like Brian James, who is typically the typical 1980s villain. He's in a lot of movies. Uh, I think he's in 48 Hours, or is it another 48 Hours? One of the 48 Hours oh. movies. He's oh, both. he's in both. Okay, yeah. So Keyhole. I mean, I mean, it just it's 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 loaded with people you'll recognize, and just like you said, it is a product of its time. Uh, Pamela Gidley is the one that actually plays Cherry Two Thousand. 
It's it it is a product of its time. I thought it was fun. I used to watch it. It, it used to come on on like HBO and Cinemax when I was a kid. I'd watch it at a friend's house when it was oh, on. So there's boobs. Uh, yeah, uh, oh, a couple okay. of scenes. So, Most of importantly, course, though, it has Robert Zadar in it. The dude uh, with Ro- the jaw. Yeah, the big, yes. big, the big guy with the huge, almost moonish face. Mm-hmm. Almost looks like a lion. Just the yeah, the massive jaw, big cheeks. I remember uh, very him from standout. Cash. Yeah, very standout guy, and, especially in eighties B movies. And his name in the movie is Chet too. Is what kills me. It's like it's like big big jaw Robert Zdar. It's like what's his character name? Chet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Tim Somerson's in it too. God, yeah, I forgot about that. He's a bad guy. Yeah, I, I just don't know why I couldn't think of that for for some reason. Uh, so that's what I did. Kay, what did you do? Well, I watched uh, the first episode of the anime on Netflix, Yasuke, which is um, the story of the African samurai. And unfortunately, like a lot of anime now, um, it... It it's it grabs a historical tale and then dresses it up with mechs and magic and stuff like that, which, you know, some of which could be cool, but it actually doesn't deal with his life as a samurai because Yasuke kind of fell off. He was on the losing side in the Sengoku Jedi uh, being a retainer to Oda Nobunaga. And when Nobunaga was done, he actually... He actually kind of fell out of the historical record. Uh, There's some speculation what might have happened, but they don't really know. And so this picks up from there, and it's just like, well, anime's fun and all, but his story's actually interesting enough for real that I don't know why you didn't just do his real story and throw in mechs and magic and what have you. But for some reason, they're they're not going that direction. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. Speaking of ninja everywhere, <laughs> I uh, I Where? actually I actually braved the Delta variant. I'm I I went to the first showing on Monday, which is what you want to do if you want to have a a properly socially distanced movie experience. And I saw Snake Eyes. Oh wow! Oh. Wow! Which actually uh, was not a bad GI Joe movie. I actually enjoyed it. Um, yeah, but compared to the first two, which were really kind of awful, what's not bad? I, well, I, have, I have I have to know your your grading here, Kirsten. Uh, well, it's better than those two. <laughs> it's, it's, so it's, you're, you're just not you're not selling it. Is it good? Is it worth seeing? Um, I think it's worth seeing. I don't know if you want to brave the theater to see it, even okay. though it, it is an action movie. I think it is worth seeing. I think Henry Golding, who plays uh, Snake Eyes, does a very good job, as well as I've blown his name. Um, the guy Did who you know? plays the guy who uh, uh, your mom, the guy yeah. who uh, plays who will become Storm Shadow. Uh, he did a very, very good job as well. So actually, the cast, uh, was, it was pretty good. It was well cast, well acted, and the story was kind of basic, but um, I think it was a well done story, actually. So, kind of story. Say just, you know, for example, just theoretically, if you had a friend 
who was unfamiliar with the G.I. Joe cartoons, uh, who hadn't seen the first two movies, and who remembers G.I. Joe as being 12 inches tall and having kung fu grip. Yeah. Could you just watch this by itself? Uh, yeah. Actually, you could, because they explain everything. It's the origin story, so they explain how he gets into the the ninja clan. But uh, yeah, you could. You could watch it. Because it, it actually, it almost looks like an introduction to a new up-and-coming Joe franchise. Oh, so it seems, okay. it, seem, it almost seems like a, like a reboot, although they didn't style it like that at all. So, I don't know. But reboot! Yeah. Reboot, reimagining, restart, re, 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 redo, redux. Oh, wow. So, like, like Bumblebee was the good Transformer movie, this is the good G.I. Joe movie. Sure. Although I haven't seen Bumblebee, so I couldn't tell you if it's on that level, which is too bad because that would be the perfect gauge. Mm-hmm. You know, if I could say it's the Bumblebee of G.I. Joe. But um, I saw Nobody, Remshot. So the movie Nobody, I actually watched that. Odin Isn't Kirk's, it good? Odenkirk's Wick movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, I loved it. I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was very. It was it was done well. Where'd you see it? What 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 uh, what's it on? I streamed it. Uh, I couldn't tell you where I streamed it. Actually, right off. So oh, I, I might have paid for it. I, might I think have it's a it. rental, if I'm not mistaken, Barry. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's not like, on. It's not on one of the regular streams. No, I'm not. I'm I'm not proud. I I'll go ahead and slap down four ninety nine uh, to rent a streaming movie. Oh, so, you mean you won't go and like buy it out of Walmart for the same price like I did or uh, more? <laughs> I, I I don't yeah well more yeah you know. I I'm always leery of spending like five bucks on a disc it's like okay what's wrong with this so <laughs> it's um, between and, four ninety nine and five ninety nine on several different platforms right yeah. now and uh, I I don't think it was Snake Eyes but uh, what was the other movie I saw a couple weeks before that oh Black Widow that was fourteen seventy five. Right. To see in the theater. And that was a fucking mat- matinee. Jesus Christ. Mm. So, so uh, I enjoyed nobody very much. Um, you didn't enjoy anybody? Uh, no, just nobody. That's my nobody? life. Yeah. You ain't got nobody. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, nobody actually, I did. Cares did she, for me. Nobody. Nobody. Did she hang up when she asked her name? And I saw He-Man. <laughs> I watched He-Man. Uh, I binged He-Man all the way through. Um, That's what she said. And uh, that was an interesting uh, man-baby, you know, crying experience. Because I thought it was very well done. Of course, I'm not a He-Man fan. But then again, the crybabies don't represent all He-Man fans. So I enjoyed that. I liked the story. I liked uh, where it went, and I'm looking forward to the second part of that. So that should be fun. I watched Love, Death, and Robots 2. Mm-hmm. Not as strong story-wise as the first Love, Death, and Robots. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. I liked Snow in the Desert, which is uh, it was a one of those uh, realistic uh, CGI ones about a... a uh, mercenary named Snow. The other one I liked was the one uh, with uh, Michael B. Jordan. I think it's called Life Hutch, where he plays an astronaut who, in a battle, 
crash lands on a planet and has to uh, go to an emergency uh, rescue pod to await rescue and shenanigans ensue. And he was pretty good. The, the animation was pretty good. The animation on all of them was good. But story-wise, it, it, it was very, very strange. A lot of them were like old-school SNL sketches. They just ran until they kind of petered out. <laughs> they didn't end, you know? Yeah. Barry, the, the last one, the drowned giant, I was waiting for this big philosophical reveal because it was really kind of heavy that way. And nope. it just sort of put, 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 put out. It was weird. It's just like a little I'm... slice of this bigger story that could yeah, be. It's yes. It's like they're putting thing, these things out like pilots. Like, hey, if this is, gets a lot of attention, maybe we could make a whole movie out of it. Or yeah, something. exactly. Exactly. And not thought... even a complete pilot, more like a pitch yeah. or a proof of concept thing. I was unhappy. Several of these were a lot creepier than the first one. Like that, that the third or fourth one that's the uh, the guy whose job is child killing. And that one, that one was one of the. I mean, you know, that, that one was good ones. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the better ones. That one that's, actually uh, kind of went somewhere. And the first one with the uh, with the automated automated customer service. That's the closest thing you've got to a complete story. Yeah. Because that one actually just, it runs the gamut of, you know, here's the situation, something happens, and it gets resolved. So, it was it was very weird. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that anything was horrible. It, it was funny, because, you know, this is like, this is sort of like a modern heavy metal movie type deal. But the heavy metal comics, like in the 70s and 80s, they really didn't care about story. They were all about the art. And Love, Death, and Robots 2 honors that. Because <laughs> the stories are, are definitely secondary to the art that they do, which, which is extraordinary. All of it was extraordinary to look at. First episode of Altered Carbon Season 2. I was sort of like, why am I going to do this? Uh, I like Anthony Mackie. Uh, and he's, 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 uh, he's certifiable, reliable Anthony Mackie in this. Um, they throw in a twist, so you kind of are referencing season one, so it is a bit of a continuation, um, so I'll, I'll eventually complete that, but it didn't grab me like the first one really grabbed me. Now, we have Crazy Samurai Musashi, 400 versus 1. Ah. This, this oh, is, wow, you saw that! Yes, I saw that. I was with my buddy Cooper, he came over for Samurai movie night. Uh, my buddy Cooper lived in Japan for a year or two, so he knows Japanese, and uh, he likes the samurai movies, and we watch kaiju movies and stuff. Just to prepare everyone's brain, this is the movie that has the long, unedited get, shot, right? I'll get in there, yeah. All right. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I just want to make sure I've, I've got my brain right. Yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, Musashi, Right is a legend of five rings writer he's actually a historical figure he's something of a japanese hero i mean he's you know <laughs> and in this movie it kicks off with musashi musashi uh doing one of the clan fights like he did in uh, real history it's uh the duel at the temple i believe is what it's known in like the his 
the historiography. And he ends up fighting an entire clan like this whole clan comes out to have revenge. And he kills a hell of a lot of people getting out of there. Um, and this one is is that fight. But it kicks off with Musashi killing a kid. Oh. And Cooper and I just sort of looked at each other and I'm like, I, I don't remember that in any of the stories I've read or, or watched. And he's like, I don't think that happened. <laughs> and it Our was hero, really, ladies and gentlemen. Dude, it's really weird because this this movie, one of the things is Musashi is sort of a dick. He's a bit of an asshole. So it's sort of like, what was the director wanting to do with this? And as it turns out, not much. Because he kind of followed the love, death, and robots plan, and there wasn't a hell of a lot of a story. Oh. Um, as uh, Todd mentioned, the hallmark of the movie is a 77-minute, quote-unquote, one-take fight. Um, and this is one of those things where, the, you know, they do the master shot, and they never, they never cut. Now, they do cinematic tricks, you know. And if you if you know film a little bit, you can sort of there are times when you see where, oh, I think this is where they did a cut or where this is they did in. Right, but they run past a pole or that sort of thing. Exactly. But you definitely get the impression of a 77 minute fight with uh, with ma as a master shot. And it's it's definitely impressive in that regard. But the they didn't push the choreography as far as they could have a kind of felt. So I think that while that was conceptually interesting and interesting on a technical level, I, I wasn't uh, engrossed in the fighting. Um, they had a lot of what, what Cooper and I eventually started calling bops because there would be things where he's facing off with like seven or eight samurai and he, he would suddenly whack whip just whip out with his sword and hit someone on the head and kill him and there was a lot of that going on and it's like these poor bastards couldn't react to him going bop and hitting them on the head and then you would have a cycle of about five or six samurai raising the swords double-handed over their heads and charging forward you know with an andy scream yeah, yeah and then he would cut them across the stomach and it would literally be like like five or six in a row just come charging at him and he's like shook 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 across the stomach and so what their choreography did because we didn't count but he did kill hundreds of people <laughs> is they like recycled these uh choreography beats that was sort of disappointing there's one scene where he there's one moment in this scene where he actually pulls up a second samurai sword and Cooper's all like, yeah, and there's like two, an exchange of blows, and then he throws the sword at somebody and kills him. And Cooper was like, god damn it, because Musashi Miyamoto, one of the things he's known for is a two-sword technique. But they didn't really go deep on that, you know? It's like, why can't we have like at least 20 minutes of this 77 minutes of Musashi with two swords fighting and killing? No, we didn't get that. So, and finally... The actor was good. The guy was good, but he was pretty. And Cooper and I were laughing at that because, as, as Cooper said, I'm kind of used to my scruffy, hasn't washed in a week Toshiro Mufune 
in his dirty kimono, Musashi. And this guy, this guy's a little too sleek and pretty. So it was bizarre. And it ended. Boom. I don't know oh. if any of you have ever seen the, the, the samurai movie Sword of Doom. But that is a movie that literally ends mid-combat. It literally, like, you're in a combat, and there's fighting. Smash cut the end. <laughs> what, did they just run out of film? <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I think there was something to that in Sword of Doom. There was something like that. Uh, but in this case, I don't know what the hell happened. But that sounds like something David Chase watched when he was trying to figure out how to end The Sopranos. <laughs> right how can i do this i've got it yeah you know so it was weird it's disappointing because you would like a 77 minute one shot fight scene to have a story framing device that actually lived up to the the uh the hype and the technical you know expertise or the technical uh uh execution that's going to be required for that fight scene. And they really, they really didn't quite go there, I thought. So it was, it was disappointing. It's interesting to watch because it is, guys, it's a 77-minute one-shot fight scene. So you're going to sit there for an hour and 15 minutes watching him bop and slash. So this, um, this is a fight scene as long as some 80s... yes. Right. Yes, Cobra by Sly Stallone was an 80-minute movie, and this right. fight scene was nearly as long as that movie. So by the t- the end of that shot, by the end of the fight scene, were, were you like, I've, I've had enough of this already, I'm done? No, because the fight scene, uh, on top of everything else, it had a double smash cut end. Because the, the, the fight scene ends with him killing... One of the grandmaster, weapon master, swordsmen of the clan, the Yoshioka clan. He has two swords. He is surrounded by the remaining students. And we're like, oh, and I literally, I think I literally said, Cooper, I think we're going to get our two sword action. Boom. Seven years later. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and he's sitting by a river. Oh, that's still remainder- fighting seven years later? Yeah, no. <laughs> we were wondering. We were wondering, Andy. We were sitting there. We started making jokes like, oh, my God, this fight went on for a long time. <laughs> but he's sitting by a river. He's looking disheveled. He's looking more monastic. Uh, the actor actually did transform. He looked different. And like a handful of people show up of the remaining clan. And there is this one character who started the movie but wasn't allowed by the clan elders to fight. He's like, I'm so angry at you. Why'd you have to wipe out the clan? Everybody get him. And they attack, and he wham, 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 wham. Kills a dozen guys, and then he goes up against this kid, the heir of the clan. Bam, bam, swords, and they're they're in a bind, and the the kid is like, "Who, who are you? And he's and it's something like I'm I'm nobody or just a man. No, no, I'm sorry. He goes, I am smash cut. End of the movie. Crazy samurai. 
So, so he's nobody. So he's like crossed over to the other movie. <laughs> Dude, it was weird. It was so weird. And 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 at the end of it, Cooper was like, "Well, we can say we watched it." <laughs> so what a glowing review! I can't wait to never watch that oh, film now. Dude. I love those synopsis. I mean, that hey, jump back. You, you called it. Barry, it's disappointing because it's like seventy-seven minute fight scene. This should be, this should be something that everybody would be excited to go see, and and it it doesn't quite live up to its own hype. Well, wow. so go, so go back a few say... steps here, uh, Kirsten. You called the Cobra a, an eighty-minute movie. Yes. Can you really call it a movie? <laughs> It's, if it's I want to see movie. a seventy-seven minute it's, fight film, I'll watch Crank. Andy, Andy Cobra had more story than Crazy Samurai, or most of the Love, Death, and Robots shorts. Mm. Are you so, talking about Sylvester Stallone's Cobra? Yeah. yeah. Oh it's my god! It's his version of it's his version of Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's where so, he. It's his excuse to bring Bridget Nielsen over to America and start getting it on. Wasn't uh, uh, probably Jeff will know this. Wasn't Stallone originally supposed to play Axel Foley? Wasn't yes. that real? That yeah. movie, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cobra is the movie he made when he left that, and he basically made the movie he wanted Beverly Hills Cop to be. I see. Oh. Yeah. In in reference to like the, your your long technical scenes, like like is in that movie, Kirsten. Uh, if anybody's ever really interested in seeing those executed very well, um, obviously Hitchcock's rope is a great example of where you hide the cuts in the sweeping camera movements. And then the other one would be uh, the Tim Robbins, Robert Altman flick. The oh, player. yeah. Uh, that, that opening eight-minute sequence is... In fact, we even watched that in film school. It was... And it just It's so well done. And it even referenced... Uh, Hitchcock's rope in that sequence, but uh, it's both great examples of how you can hide your your cuts and do these these really long takes to make it seem like it's one big long sequence throughout. It's a qualified hard uh, <laughs> uh, makes two of us recommendation, but uh, um, irreversible is actually a series of long cut scenes, including. Uh, a rape scene that is just one long, eternal, horrifying cut. I uh, must have blocked that film out because I, I, I remember yeah. the name and I and I, it's I, raw. It's raw. You I, it's you know, as you were talking about, I just literally had to pop it up on IMDb and I'm like, I don't remember anything about this. I, I remember yeah. it existing but I don't remember the film at all. So well, I'm wondering dude, if I've ever subject, actually seen it. The subject matter is so harsh because it's not just the rape scene. There's also it's a it's a story of revenge. And the revenge is very graphic and very and the emotions are very raw. Uh, Monica Bellucci, um, Seymour Castle. And is it all uh, in French? Yes. OK, yes, it is. And but it it's not only. Is it done long shot style? So each scene he tries to the camera is it's just one shot. It's also in reverse order. 
so okay. you, you each scene is the the moment prior to this whole story it it so it it's got some like amazing story structure elements and amazing things like that but it's it's gaspar know it so it's a raw horrible you know terrible story so wow and i didn't even watch that this week so you know there you go <laughs> so that's what i did this week all right let's find out what the rest of the world did let's do some news you don't give a shit about i'm on two i i, I go back and forth on this one but we got to talk about it uh, Black Widow star Scarlett Johansson has filed a lawsuit against Disney for premiering her superhero movie on the streaming platform Disney Plus, as well as in theaters, accusing the company of breaching her contract in making the film by allowing its simultaneous debut on a home streaming platform. In a statement, Walt Disney Company pushed back, objecting strongly to Johansson's lawsuit accusations, quote, there is no merit whatsoever to this filing, a Disney spokesman said, continuing, the lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract. And furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date, unquote. Uh, Johansson's agent, Brian Lord, issued a statement in response. His statement reads, I want to address the Walt Disney Company statement that was issued in response to the lawsuit filed against them yesterday by our client. They have shamelessly and falsely accused Ms. Johansson of being insensitive to the global COVID pandemic in an attempt to make her appear to be someone they and I know she isn't. Scarlett has been Disney's partner on nine movies, which have earned Disney and its shareholders billions. The company included her salary in the press statement in an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman as if it were something they sh she should be ashamed of. Scarlett is extremely proud of the work that she and all of the actors, writers, directors, producers, and the Marvel creative team have been a part of for well over a decade. This suit was filed as a result of Disney's decision to knowingly violate Scarlett's contract. They have very deliberately moved the revenue stream and profits to the Disney Plus side of the company, leaving artistic and financial partners out of the new equation. That's it, pure and simple, Disney's direct attack on her character and all else they implied is beneath the company that many of us in the creative community have worked with successfully for decades, unquote. Copy of the lawsuit has been uploaded for online viewing at Deadline. Uh, listing two separate complaints, the suit accuses the Walt Disney Company of intentionally interfering with contractual relations by inducing Marvel to, quote, breach its agreement with plaintiff by releasing the film on Disney Plus simultaneously with its release in theaters. It also alleges breach of contract on the part of Disney for releasing the film on Disney Plus with releasing theaters in violation of the agreement, which required a, quote, theatrical release of the picture as the parties understood that term of the time of contracting, meaning an exclusive theatrical release of the picture. Johansson's attorneys argue that Johansson's contract with Marvel has stipulated that her earnings for Black Widow would be largely based on box office receipts rather than the revenue Disney earns through the movie's $30 premium pricing at Disney+. Actors and directors attached to other film projects have publicly objected to the recent move towards sharing the production's theatrical debuts with affiliated home streaming services. But Johansson's lawsuit marks the first legal action taken by the actor. Uh, here's why I'm at two sides of this. One, I get where Johansson's coming from. 
on this. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's You hear about the upfront cost of what the studios are paying these actors that have already gone through these Marvel contracts. And when you see the astronomical amounts of money that, say, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. made for Iron Man and all the subsequent movies, his like her $20 million compensation was small compared to what she, he actually got on the back end receipts from a release. And that's basically what she's suing them for. She didn't get her fair share cut. She's not hurting. No, 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 no. I feel for her, man. When I'm at the grocery store and I'm deciding whether to get like the, (laughs) the, the, the the grocery store bread or, or the, $2.50 $2.50 or whatever it is, the, the golden harvest crazy good bread that's organic and everything. Uh, and I think to myself, damn, if only I made more than $20 million, I could afford the good bread. <laughs> fuck you. You're right. You're fuck absolutely you and right. Fuck her. No, but honestly, I, I, not... I, the other part, I get it where they gave her exactly what she was promised. A cut of the box office, and it turns out they just changed the method by which they were going to release this film. No one knew they were going to do that. COVID made it so that they had to release it that way to, to make any kind of money. So it's no, not no, like no. switch no. on her. And you're you're wrong, Rob. You're wrong, Rob. You're wrong, Barry. Okay. I mean, this is this is they changed. The, this is very similar to the way things went when they went. Everyone's went to video when they went when all the sales went to video. They had to change the contracts. Because suddenly the companies were getting all the money and the people weren't. And this isn't just about her, although obviously she's talking about her, but because she has the deep pockets and the cachet and the strength and power to do this fight, everybody else, all the little players who are getting fucked over by this, have a chance too. This is, this is setting a precedent. Over. They're getting fucked over. Yeah, under, I understand that. But that was based on a bet that they made to say, I'll take a piece of the box office receipts. Oh, uh, Barry, come on, come on, man. It, it, Disney is exploiting yes. the pandemic situation. Of and course to, they are. And I'm not sit, saying they're not. There, I'm saying what? they have no they're, they're, they have no recourse but to do this because they the contract says it's a piece of the box office. They didn't and release she, it all in the box when office. When they said, we're going to do the streaming, she actually was like, can we renegotiate the contract? And they blew her off. Yes. Okay. Wouldn't you? Well, see, the, Barry, what it comes down to is the contract said that the movie was going to be exclusively released theatrically. Okay. Stop. Not only I didn't they, know that. If the contract yes. says it's going to be exclusively released theatrically, First That's run. a different yes. story. If the contract doesn't say that, then you're kind of fucked. So there's there's a few facets to this that are 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 worth you know addressing. Um, the first of which is Disney knew this suit was coming because, quite frankly, in a lot of areas these days, they know that if a contract is not held to the letter, it's going to result in some kind of court wrangling. And that's just the nature of the business. The reaction on Disney's end to a lawsuit that they knew was coming was reprehensible. What was the reaction that was reprehensible? Well, using COVID as a public, weapon. Using COVID as a weapon, releasing her base salary, and and basically trying to make her look bad for merely doing what they already knew she was going to do. And several other actors are already in the process of doing. 
they they tried to try the case in the court of public opinion as opposed to just doing it quietly through the courts, which they've kind of always done, especially under Bob Iger. A lot of this stuff you never got into the public eye. It literally, it's like, oh, well, this is happening. Let's get it settled. Yeah, we go to court. Maybe we go to arbitration. We get this done. We pay whatever we have to. And it never darkens the shadow over Disney. Chapek is apparently a lot more reactionary as opposed to kind of the plotter that that Iger was. And then I guess also the uh, the new VP of uh, PR. Look, the point you know, is this. this out, the point but. is this. Whatever, whatever the details are, I don't care. The point is if Disney had the agreement to release the thing theatrically. Yes. If that's written in there, then that's a different story. Otherwise, this is rich people suing richer corporation, and I don't really care. I don't have a dog in this fight. And you, and again, you have to also take into account, yes, $20 million is a lot of money for a base salary. But in Hollywood, $20 million is pretty low. Oh, I'm not in Hollywood. So, again, for a lead I'm, actor I'm, in a movie. Barry, speaking to Andy's point, there are a lot of people in Hollywood that that this will affect, and it's not in the million dollars range. Yes. Uh, it'll affect them when Hollywood puts uh, a lot of movies out that are going to be put out not theatrically anymore, and they're still signing contracts. That and say, it's happening right the back end. How many right. of those people? How many? How many people sign contracts that say, "I don't get paid; I just get a piece of the back end." Actually, dude, actually, a lot? a lot of a lot of contracts yeah. have the the bogus. The bogus screw you of you get a piece of the net profit. Yeah. And then Hollywood does its its magic accounting to say, oh, yeah. this blockbuster, this movie that made a hundred million made no profit. So they exactly. already got that going. And this is just another this is just another way of of sticking it to people. And it means with the advent of streaming, COVID or not, they need to be aware to make their contracts deal with alternative releases that may not include a straight react uh, theatrical release and her lawsuit is going to force that to happen andy said it perfectly she's got the resources to fight this fight a lot of people will not fight it because they just they just can't and she's got it I think that that's actually that's actually pretty important don't she's, get me wrong don't get me wrong Maybe I'm saying it wrong, which is possible, but I agree that if she's got the resources, which clearly she has the resources to do this, to where future contracts uh, can be written so that it takes into account non-theatrical releases, then fine. But to the title of this section of the podcast... I really don't give a fuck because <laughs> 20 million says a yeah. lot, which puts it in a whole different ballpark. And I'm over so, here looking at bread. So, so Disney won. They won you over with their evil shenanigans. No, they didn't win well, me over. No one wins in this. Uh, well, I win because I get to see the movie and I saw it and it was fun. And uh, this is not the first time that Disney has had some bad contract shenanigans when they got star Wars. 
they continued to release the books that are now called the legends, the extended universe novels. They are still being released. They are still in print and they are selling them as the legends books. Right. But when they bought the, uh, the star Wars rights and the rights to publish those books, they completely reneged on all the contracts of those writers. And they are selling those books without giving any royalty to those star Wars writers and Is continue to do so. And they are still, and those writers don't have the pockets and are trying to fight this as best they can, but they can't fight against the Disney juggernaut, even though they have it in contract that they get certain royalties for these books because, that was with the other company, and now Disney owns these books. They're still printing the books. They, it, I never it, said it, the mouse wasn't evil, man. I'm just saying I don't give a fuck. It is a lot like what Andy said. It's 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 more of a symbolic gesture, even though it is an actual case, and she does want her, her due compensation. But there are so many actors in Hollywood, even name actors that you recognize, that their contracts are written in such a way that they don't make a lot of money up front and if uh, if you know something like this happens, they literally have no recourse. They don't have the funding to take Disney to court and force their hand to honor the contract. So Johansson, who has had a string of successful films, she's got the money in the account to not only live well and fight this in order to make sure that these types of contracts don't get taken advantage of by... Not just Disney, but all of the uh, the major studios. Because as we're getting more and more in consolidation with these studios, it's becoming more and more difficult for these actors, producers, etc. that get these smaller deals up front, or even deals at all, to get their movies made, and then suddenly find out that the distributor has made huge amounts of money, and they saw none of it. The important part about this is this gives Michael Shea some serious fodder to give Colin Josh shit about on Weekend Update. Well, yeah. <laughs> there, there is that. Watch SNL. Did you actually just make a, a Colin Yost and Michael Bay reference? Michael uh, Che. Uh, Michael Che. I'm oh, sorry. Thank you. Michael Che. You mean, yeah. you mean Colin Mrs. Johansson? That's the one. Because it's uh, it's interesting because the next news you don't give a shit about. No, Paramount hired Saturday Night Live's Colin Yost and his little brother Casey Yost. Wow, to write a brand new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. Oh my god! What? I thought I couldn't give a shit about it before, and now it's worse. (laughs) The movie will be in live action, though a title and plot details are currently unavailable. It's a separate entity from the Seth Rogen CG film that's being made in collaboration with Nickelodeon, and that's also slated for theatrical release uh, in August of 2023. Uh, Michael Bay, who produced the last two live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles adventures, is back as producer. Colin Yost is currently full-time writer and cast member of Saturday Night Live, uh, where he co-hosts the Weekend Update segment. And Casey Yost the, uh, serves as the producer of uh, True TV's Impractical Jokers. So those are the two guys in charge of the next Turtles movie alongside Michael Bay. If you like the last two Turtles movies, you're going to get more. I do like the Michael Bay-Michael Che crossover. we gotta, we got to find something to do with that. That's, there's some <laughs> well, it's, it's already there. there. Yeah, it's there. I Yeah, this is definitely in the right category because <laughs> I... <laughs> 
I watched most of that first Turtles movie, and it was pretty blah. I think I got 10 minutes into the second one and was just like, nope, nope, and turned it right off. News don't give a shit about a couple who recently purchased a Pennsylvania farmhouse uh, said that they had to have bees removed from inside the walls. A lot of bees. Nearly half a million bees. Uh, Sarah Weaver said that she and her husband bought the 1872 farmhouse in Skipack without conducting an inspection because they had been searching for a home in the area and wanted to move quickly when they saw a house on the market. Uh, Weaver said they bought the house in winter, so the bees weren't active at the time. Quote, on the seller's disclosure, it said bees in wall. And that was it. And I think because, one, we didn't see them, and two, we were just so floored. We actually found land in the school district that was within our price range. I didn't really ask any questions about those bees, she told CNN. (laughs) Continuing, I didn't think it would be much of an issue. It didn't even cross my mind, but when spring arrived... That's when we started to see them, unquote. Apparently, the hive was there for decades. Uh, The weavers hired Alan Lizzani, a general contractor and professional beekeeper, to get rid of the insects in the walls. Lizzani said he had been to the house about four years earlier, but the previous owner decided she couldn't afford the cost of removal and decided to leave them. The beekeeper removed an estimated 450,000 bees, comprising of three colonies, from the walls of the home. He said the beer, bees appear to have been living inside the house for about 35 years. The weaver said the total cost of the bee removal and reconstruction on damaged parts of the home amounted to about $12,000. That's Alexani said the bees colonies have new homes in Yerkes' honey farm. What, yeah, what I, did she I, think it meant when she saw bees in wall? If you have to mention it, it's a big deal. <laughs> I, I saw the CNN video of this where they're they're pulling out the the wall material. I, I don't think it's drywall because of the age of the house, but they're cracking that open and then just the gaps in the walls just filled with honeycomb and bees. And uh, it was it was pretty damn depressive to see that many bees just suddenly uncovered by the 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 demolition that they were having to do on, on the wall interiors. Didn't this happen like a few years ago with a house full of snakes? The same kind of deal. Like somebody snakes moved in, wall. in their house. Did it say that? There's like the whole snakes in the wall and snakes underneath it. I don't, I don't know. That. Oh, but there man, was a I... movie a while back that had a similar. Wow. <laughs> this this story and the previous story are very related, you know? Much like I tell, as a DM, much like I tell people who, 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 who wish for things in game, in D&D, uh, read your contracts, people. <laughs> it's, it's an excuse for someone to fuck you over. Next thing right? you know, you're stuck in a a timeshare for the rest of your fucking life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You now you have to sell that timeshare, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know what's it, what's really sad is uh, I bet those that honeycomb and those bees were uh, great insulation in winter. Oh, you're yeah. probably right. Yeah. Oh, well, I saw a great Aussie man where a guy and I don't know. I was like, could this be a put on? This looks like a put on. It was really weird. But there was somebody who had a problem with mice in their walls. And so this guy, yeah, he cuts the hole and he puts in this boa constrictor. He just feeds like this two or three foot boa constrictor into the wall. And all of a sudden these 
mice and rats just popping out of the hole and he's brushing them in the buckets and he gets a couple buckets of mice and then the boa constrictor comes out and it was wow. just like I, I i don't know if that's real or not but it's certainly a hell of an idea to get rid of mice yeah, there was about 15 <laughs> mice in there or something it like was that. a lot it was a lot he was just going on and on about mice and they just kept coming out of that hole after the boa oh, no, fuck me right in. Oh, come yeah. on. Oh, 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 he's almost he's almost escaping the bucket. No, no, no. Brush him inside. There we go. Yeah. Oh God, it was funny. So the snake house was 2009. <laughs> it actually broke in 2011. And the water tasted like snake. Yeah. <laughs> what does snake taste like? Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> It really does. I, I had a, a <laughs> snake snake one time as a uh, a sandwich. It was kind of well, interesting. I, I have to admit, chicken water does not sound appetizing yeah, either. No, right? definitely the water not. tastes like chicken. Oh, you got chickens yeah. in your walls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you got to do a significant amount of seasoning if you're making chicken stock. So chicken water can't taste anything like it. If you, if you go like to a restaurant and chicken water's on the menu, do not order it. No. <laughs> you uh, don't give a shit about Fortnite has had some crossovers yeah. from streaming uh, Christopher Nolan movies to snatching up characters from Marvel and DC. Their newest acquisition is pop star Ariana Grande, who will be headlining an in-game event dubbed The Rift Tour. Along with the concert, Ariana's arrival into Fortnite will see the release of several in-game items and quests, including a themed outfit. Epic has released a schedule for when you can see her in the game and has advised players to show up at least an hour before showtime starts. Fortnite has been home to several in-game events involving real-world celebrities. The biggest came in 2020 with Travis Scott's concert, during which the map evolved into a music video in real time, turning players upside down, hurling them through space as the rapper danced around. It has been speculated that Ariana Grande could earn upwards of $20 million for her series of Fortnite concerts this weekend. Oh, this is going to sue her. She better watch her contract. Oh, yeah, you read that <laughs> shit. This figure is derived from Travis Scott's earnings in merchandise, downloads, and streams following his own concert in-game, and the assumption that Ariana Grande will at least match that success. Uh, the Rift Tour event in Fortnite begins on August 6th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and goes until August 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, it's definitely a news I don't news article I don't yeah, give a shit I also about. Don't give a shit about that. Yeah. Don't give a shit about Fortnite. Don't give a shit about Ariana Grande or Fortnite concerts. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, for those out there, uh, Fortnite is a free-to-play game that is kind of a mismatch between a battle royale where it starts with like a hundred players until everyone kills each other until there's down to one. Uh, along with some Minecraft building kind of stuff along the way. So it's kind of a mashup of that. It's uh, sort of free to play. I mean, there's a lot of add-on shit that you can easily spend money on. And, and No, no, it's it's free to play. Almost all, I, I'd say almost all the add-on stuff that they have is all cosmetic. Uh, my my yeah. grandson plays it like crazy. And the only thing that you can really buy are dance moves and hats and outfits. Oh, yeah, my but, brother-in-law plays it. My sister's always like... Don't spend any money on Fortnite. Yeah, oh, there's yeah, there's plenty of options to buy things. Don't get me wrong, but it's all cosmetic. Who plays that? Uh, my grandson. 
Oh my God. I've never heard you say that out loud before. That's, <laughs> that's just unsettling. <laughs> oh, I, I had the same, I had the same reaction when, uh, when Carl oh. told us that he, uh, was going to be a grandfather. It's like, you're younger than me, Carl. How are you going to be a grandfather? <laughs> that's, that's just put me off. Wow. I don't understand. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So I you know what? That. I, I, I didn't care about this really either overall. But I thought, you know what, let me go take a look. So I went onto YouTube, and I watched the Travis Scott event. And it was actually pretty damn cool. I, I was really impressed by it. It was literally, they turned that game into an interactive music video, where the music video was happening around you in kind of an immersive thing where you kind of interacted within that changing environment. It was neat. And then I watched their Avengers Galactus event, and that was even cooler. So I'm not really into Fortnite. I really don't care for Battle Royale games overall. Yeah. I did Apex Legends for a short time. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this whole idea. But these events are kind of neat. And yeah. I don't know if I'd go to see the Ariana Grande one, but I might log into Fortnite to see some of these world events. What, what, what was Travis Scott doing? Is he like a big giant thing dancing yeah. around? He is literally a giant. He's, a, he's really, literally a giant kaiju. And no, you don't really shoot anything. You're just kind of interactive in that environment and the environment that they're changing for the music video. It's but really it, hard to describe. But if you're interested at all, look it up on YouTube. The whole event only takes like nine minutes long. Not not cool. surprising at all. But the uh, the uh, Travis Scott event is my Travis Scott cover band. You're right. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. They, but, uh, was there a giant anyway. head that and came well, in and said, show us what you got? I wouldn't have been surprised. And Andy's joke is well-placed in news. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Andy told a joke? Yeah. When? <laughs> Weekend Geek! Yay! Yay! Oh, yeah! yeah. <laughs> Taika Waititi's Flash Gordon movie is now set to be a live-action adaptation of the property. Uh, right. Right? When originally announced, the movie bum, was to be bum, animated. Bum, 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 bum. What started Who's doing the a... music? <laughs> Good question. What started as a doing comic music, strip? Apparently. You know who's doing the music right now, Barry? Our Man. entire audience as they're listening to this story. <laughs> it's too bad I can't use that music to open the show anymore. <laughs> right? What started as a comic strip drawn, drawn by Alex Raymond in the 1930s and later made into a movie directed by Mike Hodges in 1980, Flash Gordon centers on the handsome athlete and his companions as they travel to the planet Mongo to battle its ruler, Ming the Merciless, an evil tyrant hellbent on destroying Earth. In 2007, Sci-Fi Channel adapted uh, Flash Gordon into a TV series that no one remembers. I remember it. Crap. I don't just don't remember any episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Can anyone remember why Ming wanted to destroy Earth? It obscured his view of uh, Venus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was a Marvin the Martian uh, joke. Flashboard uh, quarterback, New York Jets. Yep. But it's, it sounds right for Ming the Merciless anyway. It works. I, it tracks. Whatever. I hope they get yeah. Brian Blessed back for it. What TT's alive? What um, TT could get him to do a cameo at least? That would be fucking awesome. There you go. Every yeah. time I say Taiko Watiti, it makes my it makes me smile. It's a fun name to say. It is, and and his stuff is fun. It works. 
and and plus, Andy, what you take a watiti two or three times a day, don't you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Whenever I can take a watiti, I do. <laughs> the Corridor Crew, the YouTube channel that makes videos breaking down effects and stunt scenes for movies and various aspects, while sometimes making them better. The team is now working on a Dungeons and Dragons series. Oh. Uh, we still don't know a lot, but what we do know is the show won't just be a team around a table playing the game. They're digitizing their miniatures table and inserting the players into the table as their character miniatures. Uh, the series is called Son of a Dungeon, and the first episode <laughs> is slated for early September. Uh, they have one video up on the early making of this show. Base, they've basically taken their Dwarven Forge and digitized it into 3D and created 3D miniatures of themselves, like through 3D printing, and then put their faces on it and put themselves, well, in their very effects-like way onto the table itself. Jeff, Barry... Yeah, this is this is something we can do, you know, once Barry gets here in September. No, <laughs> <laughs> Barry, you got lots of Dwarven Forge. Yes. Don't be a pooper. No, I'm not doing the whole 3D rendering of us in the th God. No. <laughs> it sounds like such a chore. If someone wants to do it for me. Fine. Todd's yeah, got a 3D synopsis. Don't Todd's worry. Got a 3D rendering of himself. Yeah, Barry, we'll give you a good contract. You'll get a piece of the back end. Yeah. You can take a Watiti. That's fine. <laughs> I will read it very carefully. <laughs> Let's do some red light, green light. Well, we have theme music for Red Light, Green Light, which I wasn't aware of, apparently. So, <laughs> what do you mean you weren't? You, you, wait, what do you mean you weren't aware? Do you of have it? to listen to the show. I don't listen to the. I after I'm done recording it, I don't listen to it. I listened to last week's show because you know I wanted to see what you guys were saying about me. I asked people to make us a music has been there for like a year and a half, two years. Jeff, I asked people to make us a tune for it. Justin won the contest. Dude, I don't remember what we talked about on each podcast five minutes after we're done recording. You expect me to remember something significant like that? Justin, I, I, Justin I just want to hold off here. Justin, I appreciate your hard work and making us a theme. Thank you very much. I used it's, to sing the good thing theme. until people told me to stop doing it. It's, a, it's, it's good. No, it's a good theme. I just didn't know we had it in there. Jeff, I'm with you, man. Things that are behind me don't matter. <laughs> You can't move forward if you're always looking behind you. Yeah. Unless unless you get a reach around. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but what? no. <laughs> <laughs> There's problems with that. Never mind. All right, Move gentlemen, I, I make... <laughs> the Christ alias. <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen, I call this meeting of Dunright Productions to order. We have a few more pitches this week. And you only get to green light one of them each, and one of them may be fake. The pitches we have are The Rules, Waterworld, Valdemar, and One Word Kill. 
those are the shows, and here are your pitches. First up, <laughs> Shudder has announced a new limited series called The Rules. Adam Green, writer and director of the Hatchet films, is slated to write, direct, and star in the 10-episode show. The show will focus on Adam as himself, working the con scene, enjoying the fan support of his cult classic films and success of his latest film, Slash. At a Q&A panel, Adam is... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> At a Q&A panel, Adam is asked what is the secret of his work. Quote, I followed the rules, he says. The rules are the tropes that have been the backbone of every horror film. The slutty girl, the rich snob, the jock. Sex equals death. Drug use equals death. Black guy dies first, etc. At his booth, he is approached by someone made up to look like a victim from his new movie. The person responds, you murdered me. The next day, he is informed the actor that played that character has been murdered in the same fashion. Adam must now defend himself and his friends from the characters he created to be victims for his psychotic slasher. But in order to defeat them, he must break the rules. This isn't Adam's first venture into television. He starred in his own horror comedy called Holliston, which included cameos from horror legends Kane Hodder, Tony Todd, Danielle Harris, and uh, Dee Snyder. Uh, Green says, quote, I'm very excited for this because not only do I get to play with tropes I love, but it gives me an opportunity to create new tropes for the horror genre, unquote. Wait, Green did you is, say D. Snyder? Yeah, he yes. was in the, he was in the Holliston, but, yeah. But as a list of, you, it was horror icons such as, icons. And you ended with D. Snyder. Yeah, D. Snyder is a horror director. He's yeah. made horror movies. That doesn't make him an icon. Yeah. Yeah, in the horror yeah. community, he is known for making a lot of low-budget horror films. Oh, yeah, so. I'm with you on this one, Barry. So, so, so <laughs> Uwe Boll is is an icon as a director, an icon uh, of what? You know, uh, David Brocky was also in it. The guy that played Odorous Arungus from Guar, he was also in that show. How how did how dare you dead name him? <laughs> <laughs> Odorous Arungus is his name. Fine point. What's his name? Yes. Oh. Uh, Green is also making the movie Slash as a companion piece for the show. Oh. The rules is uh, the rules is slated to launch on Shutter in 2022. Oh, Shutter. Well, that yes. explains it. Yeah. So this is have all the D Snyder you want. <laughs> this is <laughs> you guys a dick. Horror for horror fans. Just ladle out the D. Schneider. I saw an episode of The Daily Show back when Craig Kilborn was running it, because I'm old, kids, and uh, D. Snyder was on it, and he was a dick. So, uh, yeah, but yeah. so was Craig Kilborn. So. It's true. They fed <laughs> off each other. It was great. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, they, they were, they were they dickish to each other the whole they time. They fed off each other's dicks? And then he made like a mom joke or something or some kind of off-color joke and D was like ready to throw hands. And I was like, oh, is this going to happen on cable? Nope, didn't. So whatever. <laughs> so what do you think about the rules? Hmm. Hmm. It's, it's mm. clearly not written for me. I've, I, this falls in the news you don't give a shit about for me. It's written for Shudder. And I think it could do well on Shudder. It sounds like it's original enough of an idea that it's got potential. I just don't know how it would you know go from theory to practice 
So, yeah, uh, I don't know. The joke is that there's rules. I mean, we understand that there's common rules in, in, in horror movies, but I don't think they could carry that for an hour and a half. Wasn't and, that the whole the... point of the Scream movies? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And it's a, a, it's a ten, ten episode limited series. Okay. Very limited. Oh, yeah. Well, if it's done well. There it is. All right. Let's see how it stacks up against Waterworld. John Davis, predict, uh, producer of the original 1995 Christ. film Waterworld, revealed that he's developing a Waterworld series that would be a continuation of that movie set 20 years later. It's a scratch Davis and sniff film where, where you scratch a thing and everything smells like fish. <laughs> halibut. Salmon. Uh, just for the halibut. Whatever. Wait, Davis didn't. Can you specify- really tell the difference between the smell of various fishes? Sure, I can, Andy. For the joke, wow. sure I can. <laughs> take take notes, Andy. <laughs> Davis didn't specify whether the original stars, Costner, Janine Triplehorn, or Tina Majario, are involved, but did tell the media outlet that it would focus on their characters from the film. Uh, there's no showrunner attached yet. But Dan Trachtenberg of 10 Cloverfield Lane and The Boys fame is on board to direct. Travis is also said his team is putting the show together at Universal Television, and they've landed a streaming service for the series, but has declined to reveal which one. Uh, Waterworld envisions a future where the ice caps have melted and dry land is no more. Kevin Costner played an unnamed drifter known only as the Mariner who has gills. <laughs> drifter! Reluctantly- that was great, Todd. I see what you did there. <laughs> he reluctantly agrees to help a woman and young girl escape a group of evil smokers and seek dry land. Waterworld's troubled production caused its budget to reach $175 million, making it the most expensive film in Hollywood history at the time, although it did wind up turning a profit. So what do you think of Waterworld as a continuing series? That has Hollywood. potential. I think Hollywood just done they just dried up there's no more ideas it's like well let's try all let's try water world we made a couple bucks off of that uh, boo yeah i mean they've been running that water world stunt show at universal studios for nigh on 25 years now so <laughs> and i hope it's, they continue it that's a fun show it is a fun show it's just so weird when you go there and half of the audience doesn't know the the property that it's based on <laughs> Profit or not, I, I don't think it was that great of a movie. So, yeah, it's, I don't you know need what? to see more of it. Subs- subsequent watching, I you know, I, I watched way back when and remember not liking it too much. But having seen it like a couple years ago, again, from beginning to end, it's not as bad as I remember it to be. It's it good. So, it has its moments. Um, wow. So no. You so also describing no. Brussels sprouts to me on a menu. You, it's, you got also, it's got a little bacon, a little balsamic vinegar on the Brussels sprout. You won't even notice the Brussels sprout. Go ahead and order it. Fuck you. I want to order something good. It doesn't matter. What's that got to do with the potential of the TV series? It's, right. a, it's, a, it's a post-apocalyptic movie that takes place on water. I think there's potential there, especially since, I mean, you know, shit, in 50 years, we might be living the life. So. You also have to remember, Barry, Dennis Hopper is such a scene chewer, and he oh, plays yeah. that role so over the top. 
it tends to overshadow everything else in that film. So that's what a lot of people remember. Yeah. So Jeff. when I saw it the second time, I did realize that a lot of the other actors in the film were actually quite good in their roles. Jeff, Jeff, what overshadowed that movie was all the negative press about the the the, the budget. Well, that too, because that mo- people were screaming about the cost of the movie before it ever came out. Yeah, I don't think Costner had a chance. And other uh, pr- you know. and production issues while they were shooting in well, the ocean and, in and around Hawaii. And, and that that is actually one reason to be concerned about this series because shooting on water ain't easy. No. It's, it's going to sure. be expensive and it's going to be it's going to be laden with all sorts of trouble, I think. Or I could predict- you use the whole Mandalorian way of shooting it where you have a, just a small confined water uh... thing in a studio and then you have a digital place behind you the virtual sets uh... yeah well there's that although a lot of the stunt work that they did i want to see them do that whole jet ski under the wall business on a virtual set good yeah. point you know maybe maybe uh maybe there your water world uh uh show stunt show <laughs> well we'll I mean, get a did, lot of work they did speeder bikes true you know? So they could do jet skis. Eh. <laughs> well, let's see how it stacks up to Valdemar. Ted Field's Radar Pictures, that did the, the new Jumanji, uh, bought the television rights to Mercedes Lackey's Valdemar novels. The series, which has run for more than 30 years across 60 novels, is famous for its revolutionary and unflinching depictions of LGBTQ plus characters in the world of literature. Kit Williams, creator of Netflix's East East Siders, and Brittany Cavallero, author of the young adult Charlotte Holm books, are on board as co-writers. They are slated to adapt the last Herald Mage trilogy. Set in the kingdom of Valdemar, the trilogy follows Vaniel, the openly gay son of a noble who leaves his abusive home behind in an effort to become the most powerful magic user in the nation's history. In fact, he may be the one hope against an enemy hellbent on destroying everyone and everything. Along the way, Vaniel's resolve is strengthened by the heartache and life-threatening encounters. A field will executive produce the project. Uh, Field served as an executive producer on Amazon's upcoming Wheel of Time adaptation. So how do you feel about Valdemar? I really do wish we had a video feed going because watching Andy stifle a yawn while you were reading that was very funny. (laughs) Whereas Uh, Jeff has fallen asleep. So (laughs) I'm not falling asleep. Apparently we're not excited about this one. He's resting his eyes. No, everyone's talking My about eyes once. never went closed. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, hit rewind. Um, it's an old property, and boy, oh boy, it, it yeah, there, there's a lot of friggin' books. Um, I don't know. I am one for inclusivity, inclusivity, and diversity. Inclusivity, inclusivity. But, but at the same time. I don't think that, you know, oh, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus cash grab. Let's do it. It's it's like the pedigree behind it. Um, are these I don't care who, if there's 60 books. Uh, is it good? Have you read it? Have you, have you heard about it? No, uh, I, yes. I, I, I've, I've read some of the series. I, when I lived in England, uh, I read a good chunk of it. In fact, I liked it so much. He bought the company. Very nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> cosplayed as him? What That's you true. Do? Todd Bristow, no, CEO I, of Mercedes Lackey uh, LLC. Uh, the first uh, book that I read of the series, Arrows of the Queen, I started to write a musical on it. Wow. And I got, wow. And I got not, 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 just, not just a musical. I was writing a rock opera of it. And I'd actually oh, got wow. five. Got, and I got five songs in before I gave up on it because I'm like, how the fuck can I fit a horse in this? There is too much to unpack. <laughs> there is too much. You're just handing it to us. Not, so that not, just, take it. not just Todd, a horse, but a singing horse. I couldn't figure out how to do it. I want I, someday you're going to have an autobiography, and I want that to be the title. <laughs> You want to have your mind blown even further? That's not the first time he's attempted to write a musical rock opera based on a book property. Uh, well, no, the, the second time I tried to write a, uh, and I started to write it, was a musical spoof of Poltergeist. But the first, uh, furthest I ever got was uh, the, in the Valabar novels with Arrows of the Queen. Boy, well, the failure of cop rock must just kill you inside. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you trying to do Tokens of Affection kind of musical slash rock opera? Uh, that was not my project. That was Paul's project. I was writing, helping him write the music for, yes, his stage musical Tokens of Affection. So what is a Patreon level to, to get these rock operas produced? Very funny, sir. Wow. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> you will for money. <laughs> yes, goddamn right. <laughs> Scar- yeah, I'll write it. What if ScarJo gives you a twenty million? Uh, or Ariana Grande? I'll, I'll have to look at the contract, but or Scarlet, <laughs> ScarJo, and Yost. So, any other thoughts on Valdemar before we continue? I, I see nothing interesting here. I don't care what what uh, sexual orientation the guy is. All I heard so far was here's this dude who's in like a sword and sorcery type of genre that's supposed to beat the evil guy. That's that's all I've heard. Yeah, the Did description you got anything else? Sounds, the description sounds a little like the uh, the prince from uh, uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. <laughs> uh, keep in mind, this is not a musical. <laughs> <laughs> well, that helps. Mine was. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There you go. That, that, I would, that I would never bankroll a musical. Gets closer to green light. And finally, we have One Word Kill. Mark Lawrence's fantasy novel trilogy series, One Word Kill, is set to be adapted into a TV series. One Word Kill, a.k.a. Impossible Times, was first published in May 2019. It was followed by the books Limited Wish and The Spell Illusion. The books have been described as Ready Player One meets Stranger Things. The series is being developed by Holly Phillips, creator and showrunner of the BBC slash Netflix teen series Get Even. Here are the details of the story for those not familiar. 15-year-old boy genius Nick Hayes discovers he is dying, and it isn't even the strangest thing to happen to him that week. Nick and his Dungeons and Dragons playing friends are used to living in their imaginations, but when a new girl, Mia, joins the group and reality becomes weirder than the fantasy world they visit in their weekly games, a strange yet curiously familiar man is following Nick with his abilities that just shouldn't exist. And this man bears a cryptic message. Mia is in grave danger, though she doesn't know it yet, and she needs Nick's help now. He finds himself in a race against time to unravel an impossible mystery and save the girl, and all that stands in his way is 
a probably terminal disease, a knife-wielding maniac, and the laws of physics. Challenge accepted. So that's the description of one word kill. What do you think of that? It's a D&D story without yep. the actually saying power word kill. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Eh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm far, so far that's the one that's got the most oomph as yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say that's the only one that's actually piqued my interest thus far. Yeah, what happened? Well, why, why do I get this this week? Last week you guys had like <laughs> good ones to pick. <laughs> because it's you, Andy. There uh, you go. It's because you is and this, I are back, and we, is, you know they got a. <laughs> is this an Andy Jeff list, or is this a just Mike, Mrs. <laughs> Maple list? Mm. Well, now we know. Mrs. Maple list. Knowing like it's it. half the battle. <laughs> G.I. Joe Snake Eyes. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is the one that gets me the most. All right. So let's lay them down. Green lights. Where do you put them? Let's start with you, Barry. Uh, the rules, Waterworld and Voldemort are all dollar bin DVD crap. I'll put some money behind one word kill. All right. Jeff, where do you put yours? Uh, yeah, I'm also going to go with one word kill. It's It's literally the only one that I found interesting of all the pitches so far. Yep. Andy, where'd you put yours? Final Girl Support Group. Very funny. Very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, one word kill. Although I, I kind of wish Valdemar, I wish Valdemar had a stronger pitch because maybe I could finally learn how these do these goddamn pronouns right. <clears throat> it had no pitch. I know, that's what I'm saying. So one word, one word kill. All right. And Kirsten, where'd you put yours? Final Vampire Support Group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, same thing. That boy, did we just do a clean slate? Yeah, uh, you know, power world, power word kill. I think the rules. It's funny because it sounds like the rules and and power world. They're both like offspring of the lit RPG scene. Sorry, kinda, one word kill, power word kill. I know, I know. Ninth level spell. I, I'm just having fun. Fuck you. Fuck you. You don't get to have fun. This is serious business. <laughs> All he wants to do is have some fun. Come That's on. right. And, you know, lit RPG. It's the wave of the future, man. I think I think in the future, it's all going to be just like everybody going to their Dungeons & Dragons world. You just wait and see. So, you know, we're ushering in something new. Waterworld, I actually think personally has potential if only because after decades of post-apocalyptic stuff in a desert they put one on water finally i want to see the next patrick swayze on a jet ski with a machete in his hand charging towards you know dennis hopper with a cigarette dangling from his mouth as he tries to cut his head off but i gotta admit where was Patrick uh, Swayze? Right, that's where I'm going too. Is Patrick where Swayze? Where the hell is Patrick forgot about Swayze? It? Yeah, Steel Dawn. That was a post-apocalyptic movie. Oh my god! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He literally went there, man. Barry. He yeah. literally went there. I literally went there. That's right. At least Jeff's got my back. I don't need you two. <laughs> under- yeah, I'm. You know, let let's uh, let's do uh, one world one word kill. Uh, they may have to work on the title. D&D without Gygax. There you go. But, uh, yeah, I want, yeah, green light on that. Let's do it. So with a cr- clean sweep, one word kill gets the green light. Finally, no tie. Uh, 
That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, so do you want to guess which of these may be fake? Uh, let's do uh, you, Barry. Which one? What do you think? Waterworld is fake and you can eat shit for even saying it's not. <laughs> uh, Andy, what do you think is fake? I know for a fact Waterworld is happening, Barry. Sorry. Uh, seriously? Seriously. <laughs> I hate this planet. I'm going back and forth. I mean, the Valdemar, there's been a sort of tendency to fill up old book series that nobody's taken on yet and make that the, making that the fake one. But uh, I got to go with the rules. It's got Jake's stink all over it. <laughs> wow. Wow, indeed. But I kind of like the idea of a character named Jake Stink uh, <laughs> in some kind of occult. Uh, detective series. Jeff, what do you think's fake? Given how our track record is with these things, I feel like one word kill is probably the fake <laughs> one because we all liked it. Kirsten, what do you think's fake? Oh boy, Jeff actually kind of hits close to uh, the, the bullseye in that one. It, that could be potentially the one. Like Andy, I know that Waterworld is real. Uh, Peacock is, the, I think, the rumored where it's going, too. Yeah. I kind of um, want to see Jake Stink in the planet of the robot snake people now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. In the House of Bees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jake bees. Stink in the House of Bees. Green light. Fucking is that A. Like, is that like Jake Speed, that crappy movie? This won't oh. be crap. This will oh, be okay. This will be done well. Jake Stink and the Amazon women of the avocado jungle of death. <laughs> wow. Barry Jake just ripping on these the great movie. ideas. No, that's that's a movie, man. Well, Did Jake, you see that? No, dude, I'm not arguing with you. Jake you Stink, it just kind of writes itself himself. Um, I you know what? It's it's I want to go with Valdemar. But uh, but but um, I'm really afraid Jeff may be. Well, you know what Jeff said? Jeff said one word kill. So I'll go with Valdemar. I think that that may be a little too obscure. Jake okay. Stink in the so, Ambrosia Salad of the Vampire. So we had a clean sweep on picking the one we think is it. And then we all went with a different one for the fake yes. one. <laughs> I love it. Which which means it's it's perfect for whoever submitted this week's uh Pitches, bitches, and Andy is right. Not only is it the rules, but yes, Jake wrote it. <laughs> Hilarious! Damn it! So good job, Jake. You uh, you hid well. Well, not to Andy. Yeah. <laughs> Andy can apparently smell that Jake stink. <laughs> smells like snake water. And that and, means Andy that put his Andy put his investigative re reporter hat on there for a second. It's like <laughs> I'm not going to really listen to the pitches. I'm going to listen to just enough to, to figure out who the fake pitch is. <laughs> the Stink fake is alive. <laughs> <laughs> and that means Stink. that Waterworld, Valdemar, and One Word Kill are un in f some form of development. Wow. Cool. And if you have a Pitches Bitches to write to us, comments at UglyCouchShow.com is where you need to send it. Put Pitches Bitches in the subject title. And I love all the ones that we're getting. Thank you so much, everybody who's written in. And a special thank you to you, Jake, for 
being this week's pitch. Jake Stink and the Thousand Ninjas of Mars. <laughs> oh, God. I want to see all these fucking movies. Fuck. <laughs> this is great. Jake Damn. Stink and the cat who didn't. <laughs> so, so not your cat then, right, Barry? My cat doesn't stink. Is that a crossover with the whole that whole cat who didn't the cat who whatever series? I don't know what the hell you're even talking about. <laughs> None of us that do, is, Barry. Unusual. None of us yeah, do. Yeah, Andrew, that's a that's a title as old as the Valdemar series. All right. <laughs> and until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Jack Andy. Vlarg. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Wow, hey, Jake wow. Stink. <laughs> when, when when Vlarg returns, uh, am I getting bumped out of my third place in the the introduction hierarchy? Oh, good <laughs> point. Good point. Wow. Ways to be seen. I'm happy to take the and credit. <laughs> uh, well, that makes it simpler. I, I thought we were going to have to wrestle over it. I'm not wrestling you. Hey, Jeff, you should watch the show after and take notes. Oh, listen. I saw it. So wait, wait, I only have how long to enjoy my life? <laughs> okay, everyone stop. Uh, well, I'll ask that question again. Barry, uh, you've got Dolphin uh, again, so go ahead and fix your mic. He's, it's, it's, it's more like Chip and Dale now, right now. It's like the old Chip and Dale cartoons. Squeak, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's a good, squeak, that's a quick squeaker, fix. I like squeak, squeak, squeak. Hang on, hang oh. on. No, it's still dolphin. No, no you're you sound good. good. You're okay. good. Yeah. All right, so I'll back it up and ask the question again. <laughs> I'll back it up. Just roll with it. No, no, this is the part that cuts at the end of the show. Yeah, this allows me to cut. So let me have this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let me, yeah. just just let me enjoy this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I have so little to do on this, Perry. Let me have this. <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> I just want it to sound pretty. Two is what she was Mid- in. Midnight Run, the John Ashton movie. The Midnight Run. Okay. <laughs> not not any of the other Midnight Runs. Um. Thank you, thank you for <laughs> de- derailing my my thought process. I, I really well done, it. Andy. Well what done. I'm here for. Uh, <laughs> pillow that. Hence, I was going to show him, but I think he's making peepee. So you'll make. Oh no, Sorry. he's not making peepee. I'm done making peepee. <laughs> well, it looks like I might be going to see Suicide Squad tonight. Nice. Suicide Squad? Suicide Squad. Sorry, Suicide I'm freaking Invisalign. I'm... I was going to make a giant fart noise, but, but I, misal- I misaligned, and I just got a bunch of... <laughs> it was a little odd. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you put uh, baby powder up in there. What? 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 <laughs> wow! <laughs> bad movie reference. Wow, was that a reference to a bad movie or a bad reference to a movie? Yes. <laughs> Andrew. Oh, this is creepy when I'm the only one here because all I see is a fucked up clown and Nosferatu. Well, it's just me here, so I'll just keep talking. Hey, everybody. Actually, that's all I got to say, really. And that's about it. So, just me. There's me sitting here. Todd's an asshole. Oh, look, a plant.